Hi everyone, this is Quatu. Here I am hiding out in the server room at work, so um, if you hear a whole bunch of noise in the background, that would be why. Uh, I have found that um, if you if I if I leave the, the office and go into the server room saying I'm gonna go check the avalanche box, I can pretty much disappear for like an hour and no one asks any questions. I don't really know where the avalanche box is or how to check it or why it needs checking, but uh, it certainly does seem to work. So here I am, uh, chilling out, not doing any work, but um, recording an HPR episode. So this is episode six in my series of, of networking basics. And in this episode, in this installment, we're going to cover ARP, ARP, and also um, more or less reverse ARP, although actually DHCP. So um, let's start with ARP. So ARP is the address resolution protocol for your network, meaning that at some point you've got your little local area network, right, hanging out, minding its own business. Then an incoming packet comes in to your to the gateway, and it, it wants to go to a, a particular host machine within your local area network. So in order to find that host machine, the gateway needs to use ARP, the address resolution protocol, to find out which MAC address matches the IP address that the packet believes it is uh, trying to get to. So the ARP program looks in a little ARP cache or an ARP table, and if it finds the address, the IP address, then the packet can obviously be converted to the, the correct packet length if it's not already, and put into the correct format and stuff like that, and it gets sent out onto, you know, to, your, to the destination. If it doesn't find a matching IP address, ARP actually is smart enough to broadcast a request packet out to the local area network and it asks if anyone knows who's got the IP address, whatever IP address it is looking for. So your device on the on the LAN, if it's got that IP address, then it will respond, say, yeah, I've, I've got that IP address, my MAC address is this, and so ARP updates its cache and then it sends the packet to the destination. So either way, kind of results in this incoming packet getting to the correct actual physical device on the on the network. So if you recall from previous episodes, all of that kind of stuff, figuring out MAC addresses versus uh, IP addresses and things like that, and dealing with the physical machines on the network, that, that all happens in the data link layer. So this would be a uh, layer two protocol in the TCP IP structure. So that is what ARP does. That is, I guess, as simple as that. There are a lot of kind of well-known exploits, I guess, not that I know uh, of any myself, but certainly hear a lot about it. For instance, ARP poisoning and things like that, wherein I mean, you can kind of almost see the, the potential for it. I mean, a com uh, the gateway sends out a request asking, okay, who's got this IP address? And someone else's computer says, yeah, yeah, that's me. I've, I've got that IP address. My MAC address is, is this. And it gets all the information that is destined to your physical device, the, the real physical device. And then typically, it basically forwards that on to the physical device. So it all appears quite normal to, to your computer and to the gateway because the gateway is passing the packet and you are your, your device is getting the packet. It just happens to be extra stop along the way there in the middle. And that, that would be a man in the middle attack. Uh, and no, I don't know how to do that. So um, that is that that's a I guess a potential for for exploitation on the network. So just kind of be aware of that I guess. The reverse of ARP, wherein the gateway is 
polling the local area network saying, okay, which MAC address has this IP address? The reverse of that would be would have been something called the reverse address resolution uh, protocol. And that is, I, I guess it was being used for a little while, and that, I guess, got supplanted by BOOTP, that is B-O-O-T-P. P. That, in turn, got replaced by DHCP. So DHCP, oh, and by the way, all that, all the ARP stuff, you can read more about it in RFC 826. Uh, DHCP we're covering is RFC 2131. And DHCP is a big one. It's a pretty complex RFC. You might want to look through it. It's, it's really fascinating. It's got pretty ASCII pictures, little diagrams and flowcharts and stuff. And I probably couldn't ever hope to cover everything in that document here because it really is quite complex and has lots of different potential scenarios that it can deal with, but there are certain parts of it that once you get the theory of it down, the other potential scenarios all kind of fall into place and make a lot of sense. So DHCP is sort of the ultimate result of, of our ARP and BOOTP, and in fact DHCP is, I guess you'd say it was backwards compatible with BOOTP, uh, and they did that very intentionally because they didn't want to break all the BOOTP networks out there. You know, they wanted it to, to be a, something that can talk to existing network structures that were around at the time. I don't have a date on when this RFC was written, the, the 2131, but I know that it was, I believe it in turn modified like two previous RFCs, so it, it was kind of, it, it, it strikes me that it was probably kind of in the making for, for a little while. DHCP itself consists more or less of two components. It's got a protocol for delivering host-specific configuration parameters from the DHCP server, and it's got a mechanism for allocating network addresses to hosts. So those are the two parts of DHCP that you kind of have to think about, and that'll make more sense once we get into how everything works when you do DHCP. And before you bother either reading the RFC or, or possibly listening to this episode any further, you might want to fire up your, your Linux box, or any box really, but I don't know how to do anything with DHCP on, on Windows or Mac, but well, a little bit on Mac, but just do it with with Linux anyway. So if you fire up your Linux box and drop down to a terminal and and bypass your network manager, like if you're using GNOME Network Manager or Wicked or, or whatever, just kind of forget that exists for a moment and go into the terminal, probably you'll have to become root because you're kind of talking to your wireless card and normal users aren't usually allowed to do that all that well, but if you do if config, you can see a whole bunch of the different parameters that are very, very involved when you do get an IP address from a router, you know, via DHCP. And if you take it even further and actually assign yourself to a network and stuff like that, and then issue either DHClient, that is DHClient, or DHCPCD. It kind of depends on what your distribution uses and, and what you want to use, but both of those two commands will give you a little bit of feedback about what's happening. And and I think it's DHClient really kind of shows you certain signals that are being sent and received and things like that. And sometimes seeing it fail is just as informative as seeing it connect to your network. So you can play around with that and just kind of see what happens. DHCP itself supports three different mechanisms for giving out IP addresses. And I, okay, so I guess before I go further, I should say, so DHCP, in case you don't know, is that which hands out IP addresses. And, and that's quite scalable. DHCP you see being implemented on your little local area network at your apartment, and you see it at your big ISP when it's giving out IP addresses throughout your neighborhood. It's something that happens on, on lots of different levels. 
when you're trying to get an IP address so that you can join a network and kind of interact with that network, you are you are using DHCP. You are you are interacting with DHCP whether you know it or not. So DHCP supports three mechanisms for for IP address allocation. Uh, There's automatic allocation in which DHCP assigns a permanent IP address to a client. I don't really, I I don't see that so much these days, but I'm sure it's implemented somewhere. Um, But just speaking from my apartment, that's not not really something I see. Uh, A dynamic allocation is when the DHCP assigns the IP address to a client for a limited period of time uh, until the client says, okay, I'm finished with it, you can have that IP address back. That's more or less the default behavior of, for instance, your your home router. It's just whenever you open up your computer and ask to get onto the network or, you know, more more frequently your, your wireless interface or your, your wireless, uh, your network manager asks, you know, hey, I want to get on this network. And usually quite often invisible to us because it's just automatic now. But whenever that happens, it hands out the next available IP address. It doesn't care whether you're on your computer, your your desktop, your laptop, your Nokia, your your cell phone, your gaming console. You know, it just doesn't matter. That's the default behavior of, of most routers that you and I are going to be using on an everyday basis. And then there's also manual allocation in which a client's IP address is assigned uh, to it by the network administrator and DHCP is used just to convey the assigned address to the client. And that you see in a lot of businesses where they've kind of hard-coded all the IP addresses to, to different workstations and stuff like that. A particular network will use one or more of any of these three mechanisms, and, and, and you may do that at your own house. Who knows? I mean, I, I certainly have a lot of my devices. I've defined their IP address because I want to be able to SSH over to, you know, my my. Blackware laptop from my Fedora triple EPC without having to type, you know, well, without particularly having to go over to the Slackbook laptop, which kind of defeats the purpose, and, and do an if config and see exactly what my IP address is. So I manually assign it so that anytime that MAC address pops open, you know, I open up the laptop, that MAC address comes to life and pulls the network for, a, for an IP address, it's going to get the same IP address all the time. But then again, of course, you want friends to come over and be able to get onto the network and you don't exactly have their IP, their their MAC address so you probably have a, a few numbers in your in your network uh, available for extra people who you have not manually assigned an IP address and that's going to be the uh, dynamic allocation of those things that that's not uncommon to be using more than one of those different mechanisms okay so a typical client server interaction well first like i say you open up your laptop or you turn on your desktop or whatever. So your client starts to broadcast. It, well, and if you want to break it down more specifically, you, you open up your, your computer and you actually sign your wireless card to a network and then you issue the command DHCPCD or DHclient, whatever. And and now your, your computer becomes the client and it broadcasts a DHCP discover message on its local physical subnet. The DHCP discover message will include options or or might include options that kind of suggest a certain value for a network address and uh, lease duration. I know that DH client does this. DH client has a little configuration file or a log file, uh, I think in maybe slash temp, or it might be, yeah, I think it's slash temp, I forget really, but it, it will keep track of its last known IP address. So it'll, you know, if, if I crack open my triple EPC, and yesterday it was 
before than today when I ask for a DHCP um, or when I when I send out a DHCP discover message to to the server to the DHCP server my computer is kind of suggesting hey why don't you just if if it's available why don't you give me 192.168.1.4 that's not a you know that it might not include suggested values but it might. It just depends on, on the situation and, and what, what you're using to request that uh, IP address. Now, each server, I mean, if you're in a, a large-ish network, you know, you might have more than one DHCP server in the area. So each server is going to get this DHCP discover message, and each one will be able to respond uh, with a DHCP offer message. That includes the available network address, specifically in the YIADDR, so sort of YI adder field, which we'll go through in a minute, but it, there's a very specific, obviously, place for where it stores the available uh, IP address that they're that they're going to offer. The client will then receive one or more DHCP offer messages from one or more servers, and it can choose which server it wants to kind of latch onto. Again, in your typical home network, this isn't going to really be an issue if, if it's just a one router kind of deal, but it could be in a larger network where you, you're actually getting responses from more than one DHCP server, and the client is going to then broadcast a DHCP request message that obviously must define which server it has chosen to use and the DHCP request message is relayed through all the DHCP and BootP relay um, agents. So anything on the network that is programmed to pass on DHCP or BootP messages are getting this DHCP request message. The servers that receive the DHCP request message will, you know, if it's if they're not the server that is being chosen, they take this to mean to stop broadcasting, to forget about the request. You know, they, they, they kind of go away. They turn themselves off. They're not going to... They, they, they receive it, I guess, as a DHCP um, denial. The server that does get the message is, is receiving a DHCP ACK. ACK. Now, there's no DHCP denial message from the client. Like, if you've got two servers and, and they receive the DHCP request, one of them obviously is going to, well, both of them will respond, yes, I've, I've got an IP address for you. All that the client needs to send back is a, yes, I will, ch I choose server foo. And then server foo gets that as a positive response. Server bar gets that as basically a negative response, you know, because it, it sees that client has chosen to server foo. We'll forget about the whole interaction and go back to sitting around doing whatever servers do. It's not as if, though, the client has to send two different messages, like yes to server foo and no to server bar. It just sends one message to both servers. So it's it's nice and efficient that way. And and obviously that can be done to as many servers as you want. There's only one that's being chosen and, and anyone else who doesn't get the, the little response back that yes, I'm choosing you, give me your IP address, the, the transaction ends there for them. So the server that does get the DHCP request back and, and it's a positive response, sends back a DHCP ACK message and that is ACK. So it's like acknowledgement, like DHCP acknowledgement. So it sends that back to the client. So the client gets the DHCP ACK message with various configuration parameters and the client performs a final check on all of those parameters, meaning that it needs to check to make sure that it can actually use that IP address. 
because you don't really know, especially on a big network, I mean, how many people are requesting for an IP address at that very moment, and is that IP address trying to be applied to two different machines at the same time, and if so, that could be a problem. So if the client detects that the IP address did get assigned out from under it, and it actually does this through the use of ARP, ARP, the address resolution protocol that we just talked about earlier, then the client sends a DHCP decline message to the server, and it kind of starts over. It, it, it says, okay, I better do another DHCP request. I have actually witnessed this once. Uh, I was in a hotel, I think at either, I think it was Ohio Linux Fest, and um, it was not this past year, but the year before in the, the Durham Hotel or, or whatever that one is called. And I was uh, I was sitting around and I, I wanted to sign on and I was using, I think, Debian on my triple EPC at the time. And I did a DH client and it, it, it sent everything and it was kind of like, you know, it's a fairly verbose command, DH client. It gives you a lot of feedback. Uh, and it, it went through the whole process and it looked like I was going to get the IP address and I was about to go online. And then it started over again. It, it, it polled again. It did the DHCP request again. So that was kind of interesting to see. I think it might be kind of not rare, but it, it is something that you kind of have to look for because you have to be in a busy area where people are grabbing IP addresses left and right and everyone's kind of scrambling for it which is what happened uh, in that case. But assuming that the IP address is not snatched away from the client, then the, then the IP address is assigned to the client, and the client is now online and it has an IP address. In the case that the client ever should receive something called DHCP in a K, then that means that the server no longer has an IP address to send the client, probably for the same reason. You know, when the, when the server first got the request, it thought it did have an IP address, and then by the time the client has sent out the DHCP request saying, okay, give me that IP address, the IP address has been assigned to something else, and so the server has to respond with a DHCP in a K. And, and then, again, it's, it's a fairly graceful, in theory, it's a fairly graceful process the client simply restarts the little configuration process. It's not like anything really bad happens. That's that's the process of DHCP. The, the final stage of DHCP, I guess, in, in terms of the server-client relationship, would be in the case that the client decides that it no longer needs an IP address. So if I, if I send a shutdown signal to my computer, then it's going to send a DHCP release message to the server. Note that this is a graceful shutdown. If, if you just pull the plug on your desktop or something, or your laptop battery suddenly dies and doesn't do so gracefully, it just shuts your power off or something, then it's probably not going to have a chance to send that signal. But in, in certainly in the case of actually shutting down, then it will send that DHCP release message to the server. The server receives that and it will make that IP address now open again. And again, the way that they identify the lease and, and everything is this client identifier or the CHADDR field. That would be DHCP release stuff. So to review that, some of the key terms there, it would be DHCP discover. And again, you can look for a lot of these terms in DH client or DHCP CD, and also if config and IW config and things like that. All the output from those commands uh, will you, you'll kind of hit on some of these these terms. But the DHCP discover is the client broadcast to locate an available server. The DHCP offer is a server response to the DHCP discover broadcast saying that yes I've got an IP address for you. The DHCP request is then the client sending sort of a confirmation to the server saying yes I hear you and yes I do want that IP address that you are 
telling me is available. DHCP ACK is again the server talking to the client saying, okay, here's the IP address and here are some configuration parameters. DHCP NAK will be a server to client message saying, actually I lied, I don't have an IP address uh, available you better try that again. DHCP decline will be a client message saying that we're detecting via ARP that that IP address is actually already in use and we can't grab it. DHCP release would be the client telling the server that we're finished with the IP address so you can reallocate it whenever you want to. Okay, so here's the format of a of a DHCP message. The first field, which is one octet, is called the op field, OP. That is message opcode uh, and message type. One is going to be the boot request, and two is going to be the boot reply. Second field is H type, and that is one other octet, and that's the hardware address type. And that's actually something that kind of gets inherited from the whole ARP thing and it just sets sets the hardware address type which would be something like 10 megabit uh 10 10 megabit ethernet something like that the next field is hlen which is uh hlen which is hardware address length and there are different codes for that and and that's one octet and then the next field is hops which is one octet long, and that is, well, the client is going to set that to zero, but it could also be used by relay agents. XID is four octets long, and it is the transaction ID, which is basically just a random number chosen by the client, uh, and it is used by the client and the server both to associate messages and responses between between the two. So when this whole interplay of DHCP request and offer and stuff is going about uh, in order to kind of identify that we're still carrying on the same conversation, we set our XID field to something random but consistent so that we know that it's still the same conversation. Um, the next field is two octets long and it is seconds elapsed, well S-E-C-S is what the field is called, but it, it is seconds elapsed since the client began this whole DHCP thing. So from the moment that DHCP, or the, the, rather the client, uh, sends out that DHCP request, this seconds field starts to get filled in. The next field is flags. That's two octets. Uh, there are, as far as I know and, and understand, there are two flags. There's B for broadcast, and then there's MBZ, which is must be zero, which just means that that's reserved for future use. So uh, CI ADDR, so CI address basically, uh, that's four octets, and that's the client IP address. So it is only going to be filled in if the client is actually bound or renewed or it is in a state of rebinding that IP address. That is to say that unless that IP address is actually bound to the client and the client can respond positively to an ARP request that, you know, hey, do you have this IP address? If, if, if those things are true, then this field is set. If those things are not yet true, then the CIADDR field is going to be empty. It doesn't get filled in until the IP address is actually spoken for. The next field is four octets long, and it is your client IP address. So your IP address is YIADDR. That's what that stands for. Um, so that is your IP address. SI ad address uh, is another four octets, and that's the IP address of the next server to use as the, um, well, it, it's, it's, the, it's the server that's being returned in the DHCP offer or a DHCP ACK. And then GIADDR, four octets long, 
That's the relay agent IP address. You might not see that filled in in a lot of small networks because you, you might not be using any relay agents, but NinGI ADDR, that's four octets, that's the relay agent IP address. There's the CH ADDR, which is 16 octets, and that's the client hardware address. So obviously that's the uh, the MAC address of the client. And then there's SNAME, which is uh, 64 octets long. And that's the optional server host name. And then finally, or not finally, almost finally, penultimately, there's file field, which is 128 octets long. And this can be actually quite a few things. It can actually be the directory and the, the, and the path if it's a DHCP offer. It can be uh, a generic name. It can be blank in DHCP discover. It can be a boot file name. It really depends on what's going on with, you know, what kind of message this is. And then finally, there's the uh, an optional field, and, and well, it's an options field, and it's it's a variable length, and it really kind of depends on on what what kind of correspondence is going on here, you know, in terms of what you're going to put in the options field, or rather, what your computer is going to put in the options field. So that's the internals of of the DHCP message. So that's, I guess, an overview of DHCP. And like I said, it was it, it is a fairly it can be a very detailed process. I mean, there's there's a lot of different variables involved. How many servers are there offering DHC uh, IP addresses? How many how many clients are asking for them? Are you re are you renewing a lease? Are you relinquishing it? Have you set up a static IP address or you know some a predetermined IP address for yourself? Or is this going to be something randomly chosen? How many um, addresses are in that subnet? How how many addresses are actually available? Uh, and so on and so forth. So the best way I guess to to learn about this kind of stuff would be to play around with routers a lot, either that or build a DHCP server on, on one of your boxes and have that manage that sort of thing for you. So, um, so again, you can read a lot more about it if you really want to, RFC 2131, and ARP was, again, RFC 826. That was Networking Basics. I should probably get back to work. Talk to you later. Thank you for listening to Hack Republic Radio. HPR is sponsored by caro.net, so head on over to caro.net for all your hosting needs.